Welcome to the Chaya Podcast, a sacred platform where Jewish Iranian changemakers turn taboo topics into transformational opportunities for the community. I'm your hostess, Nicole Napovar, a licensed psychotherapist with a private practice in Century City, and I'm also the co-founder of Chaya, a community of intimate gatherings for Jewish Iranians to experience meaningful connection and deepen their sense of self. The intention of this podcast is to support our listeners' evolution by challenging the rules our parents and community want for us in order to have their definition of the best life. Instead, let's decide from a more conscious place in our souls which practices we want to keep, which ones we want to let go of, and how we can own those decisions with grace so that we can thrive in more fulfilling and authentic lives. This is the Chaya Podcast, and I'm your hostess, Nicole Nath. Hey, Chaya fam. This is your hostess, Nicole Napravar on the Chaya podcast. And I am so excited today to welcome Dr. Daniel Niku, who is an OBGYN. He received his undergrad degree from USC, followed by a master's of science in global medicine from the Keck School of Medicine and completed his residency at Staten Island University Hospital. Dr. Niku has been awarded multiple times for being a top medical student educator and he chose to become an OBGYN because of his interest in hands-on patient care with long-term patient growth, development, and well-being. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Niku. I'm going to call you Danny because that's how I know you. Yeah, call me Danny. (laughs) um, I'm so excited to talk to you today about women's health. Me too. I'm very excited to talk to you about women's health and more specifically just the Persian Jewish community's way of relating to our health as women. Absolutely. Um, And so what I'd like to do just to start off is ask you, you know, how has our parents' generation of Persian Jewish women um, and how has their way of relating to their health been different from our generation? The the one caveat I have to say is being a male OBGYN is one, a challenge because you're bringing a very different perspective for women's health. And number two, being in a community where there's a little bit of, not shame, but a little bit of hesitancy to share that. Now, there's a lot of trust that comes with being an OBGYN. Um, And in our community, I think that trust primarily was focused on what can the doctor give me? And it was just like an inherent blind trust. At least that's how it's sometimes perceived. Mm -hmm. Um, And for my mother's generation, our mothers, our grandparents, it was always like, What's the problem? Tell me what it is, at least, and then just move on. Mm -hmm. And I feel that's kind of like translated a little bit now into our own generation. But I've seen a little bit of an evolution where we're all starting to question a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I think there has been, unfortunately, a lack of trust in a lot of physicians, especially since things are now being advertised. People can talk social media, things are being communicated in effective ways and ineffective ways. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the most important thing that has translated from the previous generation into now is this trust, but sometimes we're questioning it, which is welcomed. We should be able to say, hey, what do I need to do? What this generation could do better is be prepared with questions and not just blindly go in and say, okay, Mm -hmm. because we we have a tendency to... uh, get lost and just accept things as they are. 
I do that too. I see my patients do that too. I've seen my friends not knowing certain things. And it's scary sometimes when you can walk away and you're like, shoot, I should have just asked that as well. Yeah, for sure. I've definitely felt that with my doctor at Mm -hmm. times. And I think it's something that a lot of women in our community struggle with. And I've seen it with men also where you're not allowed to ask questions. It was, and I've, you know, I've had this conversation with my parents and many parents in our community as well, where they also had a lot of shame around asking questions. Asking questions is something you don't do. It almost seems like an act of defiance mm-hmm. to question things. Mm-hmm. So, and that's why I love doing what I'm doing at Chaya because it's asking all of us to start getting more conscious and ask ourselves questions and ask other people questions so that we can lead a more fulfilling life and a more intentional life instead of just taking things for what they are. Absolutely. When I was in med school, one of the th- I grew up with the same mentality like you did. And there were times where when I asked the question and it was always just answered because they were simple. But when the questions got a little bit more challenging or a little bit in your face, mm. people either got very offended by it or very hesitant to answer. And then the thing that I learned through med school is that you need to ask questions. And when I became too reliant on someone else to give me the answer, then I learned like if I'm not asking questions in a certain way or an appropriate way, then you're not going to get what you need to solve a problem. And that's what's important. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think given that this is sort of what you're seeing as an area of improvement for our Mm -hmm. community, what is your vision for how women of our generation will relate to their health and their doctors? You know, as as a doctor, I have such a privilege to like sit and listen to patients. And the real privilege comes with sitting and advising and educating and really being confronted with the challenge and solving that and not just saying things to the patient, but getting them involved with the process of solving Mm. the problem. My vision is where it's a dynamic relationship, at least for our generation. I'm not saying that our parents' generation or grandparents' generation is a lost cause. It's not. There's a lot of flexibility and there's still opportunity there. But I think we had when we had one of our dinners with strangers uh, that I was at, I I sat there and uh, it was the sex talk. And I Mm -hmm. said, if we don't do something now for our generation in terms of approaching certain issues head on, we will be lost and our generation, next generation will have to start. So if we don't create Mm -hmm. those relationships and understanding now with doctors and patients or even amongst friends, we're we're doing a detriment to our to our future. Yeah, because then our kids have to pick up the pieces and exactly. then they have to do this. Exactly. So when we're advocating for ourselves, we're also advocating for the future generation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All the time. So what are, you know, what I'm hearing from you is that we should be asking more questions when we go to yeah. see our doctors. Yeah. What are some questions that we can begin to start asking? Uh, it's not about the questions that are being asked is when they should be asked. I Mm -hmm. feel like, so I, I'll, I know I'm going to talk about this for my own personal plug because I created a health advocacy group and I'll I'll talk about that in a second, but I found, uh, amongst people that I've worked with and even with Unicol that, um, people are too late in the process. So one question, for instance, birth control talking Mm -hmm. about sex, talking about when I'm ready. What about my menstrual period? What about fertility? All these questions are things that should be asked when you're 12, 13, 14, 15 years old into your adolescent, into your teenage years, but it's not really addressed. And when you're 29, you're, you have a certain mindset and you're not going to stray away to dis- rediscover yourself and stuff like that. People just say, I am who I am. And that's what it is. And it becomes a fear of asking those questions that are basic because you might feel like, 
oh, I don't know this. And you might feel a little bit shameful or feel a little odd that you don't know the things that you should. Mm -hmm. So it's about redefining your understanding of yourself, your foundations and really moving forward. So I think... And also finding, I think, a doctor that makes you feel safe to ask these questions and open up. Absolutely. Now, now look, so you don't need to necessarily go to a doctor. I can't control what people do. But I do know, for instance, my sister or my friends and my cousins, all female who are involved, they talk amongst their friends. They find information, which is a powerful thing. It's that that not mob mentality, but like herd mentality. Like, what can I gather <laughs> from the people around me? Yeah. It's a very communal thing, which is great. But sometimes you just need a little bit of direction amongst the community is to create a relationship and understand that this is, should be a judgment-free kind of zone. Kind totally. of thing. Yeah. I think another big difference between, you know, our generation and our parents' generation mm -hmm. is that women are sexually active mm -hmm. before marriage. Sure. And so I'm sure, you know, that was happening in our parents' generation as well, but it's much more common and much mm -hmm. more spoken about. And with that comes the question of, birth control. Mm -hmm. And so my question for you is, can you sort of tell us some of the pros and cons of using condoms versus birth control pills versus IUDs? So the one thing I tell my patients and I've told my friends and people who've asked me is that you have to do what's best for you, number one. So just because A worked for person, this person doesn't mean B is going to work for this person. It, like mm -hmm. everyone is different. Now, there are certain medical um, re uh, recommendations for the different types of birth control that are out there. The best one overall mm -hmm. is abstinence. No one's going to practice abstinence. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, let's the, be honest. <laughs> the human race will die out. Let's be honest. We need a lot of Persian kids like running around in the streets these days. Like we need, we need, we need a little bit more. And let's be honest. Yeah. But um, the reality is, the, the the two most effective forms is a vasectomy. Yes, men. I said you can get a vasectomy later on after you've had kids. It's another way of form of birth control. Yeah. There's no shame in that. It's one of the most effective forms. The other is for women to tie their tubes or what we call a tubal ligation. That's another permanent form. Not every form is guaranteed, but 99.9% .9 effective. Yeah. Um, the, in terms of birth control, uh, oral is the most common that people are familiar with, mm -hmm. but there's also patches, rings, like vaginal in, um, insert mm -hmm. rings, there's IUDs, and there's even an implant in your arm. And the implant in your arm is actually the most effective out of everything. It's mm -hmm. It's like 99.8% effective kind of thing. It has a little bit of hormone, progesterone in it. it. Some women might have an effect. If you ever take birth control before by the mouth, by, by mouth, it might have like that systemic effect of like nausea, vomiting for some women, irregular periods. Some women stop having their periods altogether, you know, for the, you know, in, like for the future, like the foresee foreseeable future, but it you can easily take these things out and you can get pregnant. Some women might have a little bit of difficulty, others should be just fine. Mm -hmm. But And birth control, as a side note, isn't just necessarily just for birth control. The oral pills that you take can be yeah. used for a lot of different issues. Yeah. Women with heavy periods, women with painful periods, endometriosis, PCOS, there's lots of acne, different uses. Acne, hormonal mm -hmm. imbalance, yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. And, but again, the the method has to be discussed. You need to sit there and understand there are certain risks, there are certain benefits. If you don't ask those questions, sometimes your your doctor might forget. Like, let's be honest, we're mm -hmm. human. We're not gonna. We'll try to explain everything and they say, "Oh, doctor, you didn't tell me that this could happen." And maybe that might be the case. But as long as that 
interaction is there and you formulate that kind of uh, comfortable conversation, yeah. exactly, then that's easier for the back ends. Got it. Um, I don't know if that answers all the questions. Yeah, I think also just, you know, condoms. I, yeah. You mentioned that it's like 82 to 80 per, 86%. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so there's two types of use. There's perfect use and typical use. So perfect use is you know how to put the condom on right. You ho- yeah. You're holding the tip, the reservoir. You're putting it over the penis correctly and all of that stuff. And hopefully there's no breaks and stuff like that. That's like 95 to 98% effective. But let's be honest. Seriously, again, let's be honest. How <laughs> often are sexually active people using it or even using a condom at all? Okay. Mm-hmm. It's like that classic friend scene where, you know, Joey pulls out the condoms. Is like, yeah. what? It's only like this. This It's yeah, it's only that effective because it's how typically are you using it? Now, it's a, an effective form, but there are other forms that you can so you just have to be aware of what's your comfort. Some people can't even tolerate condoms. It's mm-hmm. irritating to them. Mm-hmm. So if you choose to do unprotected sex, please have that conversation with your partner. Mm-hmm. Sexually transmitted diseases in the past, you know, mm-hmm. your risk for unwanted pregnancy, you know, those yeah, are things. Thank you for actually bringing that up because I think um, as much as our community loves to act like we all perfect, we got some stuff going on, every single one of us. Yes. And, you know, sexually transmitted infections, diseases. infections or diseases, um, you know, it's it's here. It's in our community. It yeah. exists. I, you know, I know on a personal level, on a professional level that many people who have struggled with this at one point or another. And so, you know, and I think... It's unfortunate because what I've also heard come up at our Chaya events Mm -hmm. is that there's shame about even asking, hey, when was the last time you got tested? Or, hey, are you open to getting tested? Mm -hmm. You know, so how do you have that conversation with your partner? That has actually been honestly one of my more difficult um, conversations I have with my patients. It's never easy to tell a 23-year-old, hey, you have herpes never easy to tell someone that you have chlamydia or gonorrhea. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis are on the rise. There was about a million new reported cases within the last year alone. So if you're not wrapping up your tools, gentlemen, if you ladies, if you're not asking the questions, you're susceptible. No one is going to be forthright. And going back to your, your, your question is you have to, it's, it's like training for, and for the Olympics. It's really, mind over matter telling your pay me i sit down with my patients for a good 20 minutes sometimes and say like hey this is what the risks are for you this is the risk for your for your partner this is what you you could say and when you should say it and i encourage you to say it as soon as possible so what do you encourage people to say so is there ins- like a one-liner <laughs> it's like look i i i want to be frank and own honest with you and i i need to be forthright that i contracted a I contracted X. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if I got it from you or if it's something from the past or f- or if I, I can't say, but I need you to get tested so that you're safe and I'm getting myself tested and treated so that nothing else can come of this. Beautiful. And a lot of people um, take comfort in that. They're still terrified. I've gotten multiple phone calls from many patients with the same issues and that's fine. You know, that's, that's okay to ask those questions. Never ever f- you should never feel alone. That's what's important. Know that other people have experienced this and that you can find ways to cha- like fight that challenge. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think even if you don't have an STI, but you're thinking about having unprotected sex with someone, mm-hmm. 
the conversation can be, hey, have you gotten tested? And I think a lot of women or men are nervous to even have that conversation and totally understandable. But I think um, it was interesting. I did an event on sex um, at Chaya and one of the girls brought up this concern that, hey, I'm really uncomfortable asking this question. I'm embarrassed. And all the guys at the table were like, don't be embarrassed. Mm. I'd be so turned on if a girl was like, hey, like I'm going to be in charge of my, you know, sexual health and I'm asking you where you're at, you know? So nothing it's a turn is, on. Right. Nothing <laughs> is more empowering to uh, to know that someone is looking out not only for themselves, but for the person in front of them. Totally. Like you can be at the beginning of your like, we're getting ready to go down and everything's going to have fun <laughs> right now. And you're like, you could ruin the quote unquote, ruin the moment and say like, hey, before anything happens, I need to know, like I've gotten tested. Have you? That's fine. Or have the conversation over dinner or something like that. That's yeah. an OK time. There's never a wrong time for that. Yeah, never. for sure. Thank you for saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I'm also wondering is mm-hmm. how often should we be seeing our OBGYN and when should we be getting our first PAPs? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so technically an OBGYN and what is... what are our PAPs for? <laughs> <laughs> that's even a better question. Um, I actually did a, uh, a Instagram video with Shadi... Uh, and she's doing her whole fertility thing, which is an amazing yeah. process. And she asked me the same thing. So it's like it's become now like a, yeah. a routine, which is great because it makes it easier. But um, for your senior OB, we're like actually like primary care doctors to a degree. A lot of women don't even see a normal generally general doctor and they come to their OBGYNs, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, the only difference is we deal with specifically women and we deal specifically with um, gynecological issues and, you know, pregnancies. Um, so you should see your OB every year to do those specific things. A pap smear is started, uh, should be started at the age of 21, regard- by the recommendations, regardless of your sexual activity. If you had sex for the first time at 16, you don't need a pap. Mm-hmm. You should get your pap at 21. And here's why. Um, the pap smear is a screening test. Okay, it's not a diagnostic test. It screens for changes in your cervix. I wish I had like uh, this was like I yeah, can I a can visual. Like, a visual and I can show. <laughs> so the uterus and the cervix are um, one and the same, but they have different cells to it. And if you okay. remember from biology, different cell types dif- have different functions. And there's a transition zone for that area, and that's the most common place that those changes can happen. Okay. So with cancer that you think about, like someone with stomach cancer or esophageal cancer or anything like that, it's because some kind of change has happened. Okay. The most common cause of cervical cancer is HPV. Now, mm-hmm. HPV is a virus that is sexually transmitted and commonly attacks or goes after this area of change. Mm-hmm. And um, there's two types that are high risk, 16 and 18. And if you get the HPV vaccine, it's one of those two things that's covered in the HPV vaccine. Mm-hmm. Regardless if you get the HPV vaccine or not, you should still get a passenger. So if you got the HPV vaccine at 12, you should still get your HPV and you know cervical cancer screening with a pap at starting at 21. So can you tell us a little bit about what you are doing currently to promote health and wellness in the Persian Jewish community? Through 30 years after, I was doing a health uh, professionals group, trying to get people involved with political advocacy in that. And we're trying to evolve that. And then, you know, leaving from med school, it just didn't go from there. When I came back and along the way through residency and through um, medical school, I really found a passion for teaching. I found a passion for education and community advocacy. 
So when I got back, um, by sheer happenstance in July, I went to a birthday party and uh, it was on a boat for four hours in Marina del Rey. And of those two out of four hours, I spent with now my partner in this project that I'm doing, Bahar Basseri. Yeah. Um, Bahar is fantastic. If you she's haven't amazing. met her, she's amazing. She does public health. She works at USC. She is utterly one of the most energetic type A personality in the best way possible individuals. <laughs> if I didn't have her, this would fail. I'm telling you, it would not get to where it is. So we created a group, which is now called Segol Health. And the How do you I spell that? Sure. It's S-E-G-O-L and then health. Um, the reason we picked Segol because it has a lot of different, uh, it's like the three vowels that you see underneath um, Hebrew lettering. It has relationships with Rafua, with Segula. And it. the idea was to find something that represented uh, our evolution in health and how we can take different elements of like our mysticism and our um uh, our education, our understanding of health and bring it all together. So we wanted something that could advocate for our women's Persian health in our community, specifically right now, Persian women, and then eventually include men, but that's still a little ways away. Beautiful. But the reason we did this is because we found in our motto, we wanted to redefine the foundations of generation XX. That's our motto. And generation XX is X chromosome is XX for mm. women. And we had our first pilot back in July. And the idea was to help women understand their timelines. That was our first event. We took a big timeline on a PowerPoint. And then we had um, the 18 participants, 15 to 18 participants. You know, we asked them, when is your first pap smear? And everyone went and put something like a post-it note. When should you have your first mammogram? And it's very interesting. Everyone knows, has a actually good general understanding. But then there was the questions that came with it and the subsequent questions. And it was just really remarkable how women knew that their first menstrual period is around the age of 10 to 12, but they didn't understand what it meant to have a menstrual period. Why is it so important? So for instance, if you're ready to get pregnant, it's actually a good idea to know if you're having regular periods, mm -hmm. because if you're not having regular periods, maybe you're not ovulating, ovulating. Yeah. maybe you're not. And it's like, I haven't been able to get pregnant for you. Well, maybe that's the reason. Those very basic things that we are shameful about or not trying to understand is so critical for our futures. Mm -hmm. So that's why we wanted to say redefine, not to define it, but to help find ways to find those cracks, find mm -hmm. those things and re-cement that foundation because you have it. Beautiful. You know, uh, yeah. like I'm a man. I don't know what it means to have a menstrual period for God. I like I look at you guys. I'm like, holy crap. You guys are going through what every month? And I like I have the privilege of helping women like understand their health. I want to be that conduit. And more importantly, Bahar and the people that we're trying to get involved are even more empowered now because we are the future. You guys are already the future. Mm -hmm. We want to make that better. And that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Of course. Our community, our Persian Jewish community mm -hmm. has so many roles mm -hmm. about our health, about our role as a woman, about, you know, who we should marry, about <laughs> when we should be getting pregnant, you it's know, more specifically <laughs> to this topic and men. And men, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, so what I'm wondering is, you know, these rules come from a very good intentioned place a place of you know our parents and our community want the best for us sure and at the same time sometimes these rules are outdated or they're not working for us anymore as we're you know in a new country or in a new generation and so my question for you is 
what's one Persian Jewish rule that you've broken and what did you learn or gain from breaking that rule? I want to say that I broke being kosher. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, can I actually just add something? Sure. I think the fact that you're talking about, and we don't have to include this, it's just off the sure. record, but I think the fact that you are talking about women's health is breaking a rule because think I think so? it's something that women don't feel comfortable or safe talking about with a man or maybe sometimes men don't feel like mm -hmm. it's something that they're supposed to get involved with. Yeah. And so I think for you to pursue this field mm -hmm. is amazing. Yeah. Uh, I want to be able to create like intimate relationships with my patients because this is a lifetime, mm -hmm. you know, and if I can do that now, then I really want to do it with m my future wife. I want to do that with my friends such as yourself and the partners that I do. It starts with that, you know, having that, like you said, men need to feel comfortable, not feel so ashamed to ask questions. What I would encourage for men who are listening to this, go to your wife's, you know, prenatals, ask the questions yourself, know your own history. Don't be afraid and say like, oh my God, what if I have this and what if, and I don't want, if you don't share that, if that intimacy, that's intimacy in itself. Intimacy mm -hmm. doesn't have to be physical, being open. And understanding your partner and yourself goes a long way. It doesn't have to wait three to ten dates in. It doesn't have to wait three to four years into a marriage. It should start now. Yeah, and know? even if you're not married and it's not your wife, maybe it's your girlfriend and she's thinking about freezing her eggs. So oh, yeah. ask her how can you support her through that process? Yeah. How can you be involved? Or if it's, you know, she's going through that time of the month and she's struggling or she's in pain, ask her yeah. what she's feeling and be curious and if she needs anything, you know, it doesn't yeah. have to be something that you make fun of or shame the other person for. So I really appreciate that you yeah. kind of broke this rule in the community of taking a much more mature stance and taking having the courage to step into, you know, women's health yeah. as a man. Do you remember like as a kid, I still remember, oh God. So stupid, but like when you would play the penis game, I, 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 I mean, let's be honest. And people would like jokingly say like, okay, I bet you can't say vagina. I'm like, okay. And you had that like hesitancy. And then I, it like hit me. It wasn't just because I was becoming a doctor. I'm like, really? We have to actually step beyond this. I know even women who can't even say like comfortably mm -hmm. vagina or penis. Like, mm -hmm. yes, I said those words. People, if you don't start getting comfortable with that word earlier on, you'll never feel comfortable when you're having intimate dirty talk with your partner. You're never going to feel comfortable mm -hmm. when it comes with your with your partner themselves or your girlfriends or your family members. I know plenty of family members now that it's actually starting to change with those very intimate conversations are happening at Shabbat. That's incredible. It shouldn't wait till, yes, maybe you don't want to say it so much in front of the 11 or 10-year-old at the dinner table, but <laughs> let's be honest, if you don't have those conversations even comfortably or jokingly or have that sense of like vision that there's possibilities to be open, we're, we're not doing our jobs. Yeah. So the lesson from this episode is penis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to yell any louder. <laughs> Thank uh, you, Danny. Of Thank course, you for of joining course. us Thank and you for, for having all me. the wisdom. And how can people um, find you or get more of you? Oh, absolutely. So my Instagram is one of my big things. So it's Danny Niku MD. Um, and you can find can you me spell there. Spell that out. 
Sure. It's D-A-N-N-Y-N-I-K-U-M-D. Um, you can follow me there. I actually have a website that I'm doing a blog. So the last six weeks I've done all prenatal stuff. I'm now going to start going to the gynecological stuff. Um, so I think we're February right now. I'm finishing up the postpartum stuff. So that's Daniel Niku, MD, D-A-N-I-E-L-N-I-K-U-M-D.com. Um, and feel free to just message me. My offices are even on 150 Robertson, uh, Beverly Hills, not LA. There's two 150 Robertsons. (laughs) Feel free to even like... If you want to make an appointment with me, you can come have a conversation. I have time right now. I, I'm at the beginnings of my, you know, my, my practice and this great opportunity to use me as a, as a resource. And, um, and hopefully that continues to be this for you, Nicole, I'm always here to support Chaya and make that evolution continue. Thank you so much. Of course. Hey, Chaya family. Thank you for tuning in. This episode was brought to you by Chaya Community, a sacred space for Jewish Iranians to experience meaningful connection and deepen their sense of self. It's also brought to you by WeWork, finally a space that works how you do. WeWork's new media and entertainment locations are wired and ready for your next big creative project. From soundproof editing rooms to state-of-the-art screening rooms, our media-ready spaces have you covered from pilot to wrap. Book a tour of our newest M&E building at the Pacific Design Center, green by visiting we.co slash entertainment again that's we.co slash entertainment music is composed by persian jewish artist chloe permarati the song entitled aina is off her award-winning album begin majesty <laughs>